we study through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we come to question four. If you turn in the back of your songbooks, back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals to page 968. The last time we asked the question, well, how do we glorify and enjoy God? Well, the scriptures tell us how. What do the scriptures teach? They principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Now, the rest of the shorter catechism is going to be divided in those two groups. What man is to believe concerning God? I think that takes us to question and answer 39. And then what duty God requires of man, 39, to the end. So what man is to believe concerning God? We're at question four. What is God? God is a spirit. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And let's turn now to Exodus. Exodus 33 and 34. Moses wants to meet God. 33 verse 12 through 34 verse 9 on page 87. Thirty-three, twelve, thirty-four. Nine. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. Bring them up to the promised land, in other words. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight... Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But the Lord said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. 
So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please... Let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is God's word. May he bless it. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, What's the most dangerous, dangerous thing anybody could ever encounter? You know the answer? It's God. Who are we even to know him, let alone talk to him? So we read in Hebrews 12 earlier, our God is a consuming fire most dangerous thing to encounter is God, most dangerous person, being. But we're not afraid to stand on the holy ground before God because that consuming fire that he is was put upon Jesus, his son. Jesus was consumed for us so that the fire is quenched. And for us instead, through Jesus, there's love. And then that's the safest person to encounter is God through Jesus Christ. When the Westminster Assembly came to this question, what is God? They didn't know what they should write. So they said, let's take a moment for prayer. And they called one of their ministers to pray for guidance in this question, what is God? And so young George Gillespie, a diligent student of the Bible, began his prayer with these words. O God, thou art a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And after his prayer, the assembly continued, and one of the commissioners said, Mr. President, the Lord has answered our prayer in the prayer of Mr. Gillespie. Let's take the opening sentence of his prayer. That's the answer to what is God. And so we have question and answer four of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. No one can see God. But he shows us his glory so we can know God, secondly, and we can enjoy him, thirdly. We can know and enjoy him. So let's look at those three parts. God is a spirit. No one can see God. Moses was distraught. 
the people had sinned with the golden calf. And God said, I can't travel with this people anymore. They're stiff-necked. And if I stay with them, they're all going to be destroyed. So I'm going to send my angel Moses to go with you instead. But Moses knew that would be a disaster without God in their midst, protecting and forgiving and loving and leading and guiding and feeding them. They'd never make it to the promised land. They'd be killed by enemies and animals, if not killing each other first. So Moses says, if your presence won't go with me, will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. Verse 15, if you don't go with us, don't send me. Don't send us. Because we're nothing without your presence. And then God answers. Verse 17. The very thing you have spoken, I will do. My presence will go with you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. But now Moses says, I want proof. I want evidence. That you really favor me, and you're going to go with us. Please. Show me your glory. And God said, I will. I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. But you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And that's what it means that God is spirit or a spirit. He allows us to know him by his grace. But no one can see him. If we would ever have the full sight of God, we would disintegrate. God is a spirit. That's what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. The Father is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. For God is spirit, or a spirit, some translations. He is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 4, 23 and 24. Now, that's not saying God is the Holy Spirit who is one of the three persons of the Trinity, is saying that God is not flesh. He's not visible. He doesn't have a body. It's saying what Isaiah 31 verse 3 says, but the Egyptians are men. The Egyptians are men and not God. They're flesh and not spirit. It was comforting to the Israelites to know that God is spirit. Powerful, not limited, not weak, not bound while the Egyptians are flesh, they have limits. So put your confidence in the Lord. Now, angels and demons are spirits too. But there's a difference between God who is spirit and angels and demons who are spirits. What's the difference? God is infinite spirit, eternal, unchangeable spirit. While angels and demons are creature spirits, bound by time and limited to space. Whether we can see them or not, doesn't matter. They're limited, they're bound, they're creatures. But God is divine spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. And that's why the Bible stresses that God has not been seen and cannot be seen. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. No, not even in heavenly glory will we see God. 
Oh, it says they'll see his face. Yeah, we'll see the face of his son, Jesus Christ, who will walk with us by streams of water, but not the fullness of the glory of the eternal God. In Deuteronomy 4, when God meets Israel at Mount Sinai, he says, your neighbors, the nations around you, they like to make images of their gods and worship them through images because they want their gods to be controlled and manageable, stuffed in a little square, a little box, a little piece of wood or steel. You can't do that to me. I'm not manageable. He says in Deuteronomy 4, when, you, when I met you on Mount Sinai, you saw fire, you heard thunder, you heard the sound of a trumpet, there was earthquake, but you saw no form. You saw no form. So now Moses says, show me your glory. And knowing God is a very dangerous business for sinners, for our God is a consuming fire. Only if God covers us with his hand can we meet him. Can we meet his glory and live? And that's what God says to Moses. Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. 33 verse 22. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock kind of a split in the rock, a cave-like thing. And I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. You say, wait, he doesn't have a body, so how can he have a hand? Oh, God has eyes. He has ears. He hears. He has a hand. They're invisible, which means they're far greater. They're the ultimate hand and eyes and ears. But I'm going to cover you with my hand. until I have passed by. And then I'm going to take away my hand and you'll see my back, but not my face. God is spirit. Well, some people will come back and say, wait, the Bible says the Lord knew Moses face to face. And the Bible says God spoke to Israel face to face out of the fire on the mountain. That's the point. The Lord knew Moses face to face which is figurative for in a personal way. But they didn't see the Lord's face. He saw their face, but they didn't see his face. There's only one way to see his glory and live, and that's if he puts his hand, his hand over you to cover you, veiling his glory, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a prophecy of Christ. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate. Deity. That's how we can see God and live. When he puts a veil on, he covers us with his hand, shielding us from his, the full weight of his glory, showing us his glory in his son, Jesus Christ. Show us the father, said Philip. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. But that's the only way to see God's glory and live. And his great love for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be his friend. 
So he came down in human form to walk among us so we could see his glory in full in his son, Jesus Christ, veiled in flesh. That's what we see secondly. No one can see God, but in his grace, God shows us his glory. Show us your glory. Show me your glory, said Moses. What a bold prayer. Please. Show us your glory. Who are we to know and enjoy the incomprehensible, infinite, holy, holy, holy God? Job says in chapter 11, can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens. What can you do? They're deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. He bursts all the boundaries. He's incomprehensible. Yes, but he is knowable. That is, we can never know all there is to know of him, nor even know him as he is, but we can know him in truth as he has revealed himself to us in his word. Charles Spurgeon once said about the study of God that it's a subject so vast, all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Show me your glory. And the Lord, verse 34, verse 5, descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. What a moment that must have been. Didn't see his face, but he met his glory. And the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head. He met the infinite God who's holy and just and forgiving and merciful at the same time. And really, we have a summary of the attributes of God in answer four of the catechism. We want to take a moment to go through that. Show us your glory. And he has shown us in the Bible, and here's a summary. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let's take a look at each of these words. He's an infinite spirit. No boundaries. No limits. Isaiah 55, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is able to do immeasurably immeasurably above all that we can ask or think, far more immeasurably above all that we can ask or think. He said to Abraham, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Jeremiah, and the Lord says to Jeremiah, do I not fill heaven and earth? And Solomon takes it a step higher. Solomon said in his prayer, even the highest heaven cannot contain you, Lord. 
He's infinite, boundless, no limits. And the second thing is he's eternal. He's not bound by time either. He's the one who was and is and is to come. We'll sing Psalm 90 later. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had ever formed the earth or the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And actually, God stands outside of time entirely. The Bible says that to God, a thousand years are a day, and then it flips that to say a day is as a thousand years. You say, what, that doesn't make sense. It, It makes total sense. For God, one day is forever, and forever is just a day. There's no aging with him. There's no before or after with him. There's no showing up late. His timing is always perfect. He's always current. He's always on time. We're said to have eternal life. You say, well, we're eternal too. But our eternity is dependent on his eternity. Our eternal life would be gone if God's eternity didn't hold us up. Eternal life in heaven can last only as long as God is there to hold us up. He's inherent eternity. We are dependent eternity in eternal life. He's eternal. Third, he's unchangeable in his being and in all his attributes. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes in his character, in his plans, or his promises. He's completely constant, reliable, and trustworthy. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? In Malachi 3 verse 6, I the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What's comfort and stability for us? That though the world decays and changes and passes away, says Psalm 102, you, Lord, are the same and your years have no end. And a world of whirl and upheaval where nothing stays the same and people are unpredictable and cultures are unpredictable and technology is unpredictable. There's someone and something that never changes God and his word. Well, you say, just wait a minute. The Bible does say God changes. In Genesis 6, verse 6, after the world was lost in sin and became corrupt and violent in just an awful place, God said, I regret that I made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. Isn't that God changing? He regrets that he made man. And another time God said to Moses, I'm going to wipe out the people of Israel because they're so stiff-necked. But Moses prayed for Israel and the Lord relented of the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. Does that mean God changes? It means he stays the same. And the relationship dynamic with his creatures changes in proportion with how we behave. Think of yourself as a parent. If your child sins, 
your demeanor toward your child will change. You'll become displeased and even angry. You may even threaten to punish him. That's not you changing. That's you being consistent. That's you being constant. That's you holding the same standards. Sticking to your word. The relationship dynamic with your child has changed because you're unchanging. That creates stability for your child. Much more than when the relationship that you have with your child depends on your changing moods. That can happen too, right? And then your child can never be sure who mom or dad is today. And that creates instability in our lives. God stays the same. And that's why when we sin, he becomes angry. And that's why when Moses, the mediator, prays for his people, he relents of the disaster he's going to bring because he's promised that when you pray, I'll send you a mediator and I'll put your sins on somebody else. That's God being unchangeable. That's God being faithful. We may know that in our own lives. When we sin against God, he'll stay the same. He'll be angry with us for our sin. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he stays the same. He's unchangeable. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, but also in his other attributes, his wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let's take a moment for each of those. His wisdom. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom. That's his perfect use of all his knowledge to make the right choices at the right time and always do the right thing. His perfect use of all his knowledge to make the right choices at the right time and always do the right thing for his glory, our good, and the destruction of the kingdom of darkness. He never makes unwise choices. He never does anything wrong. Next, he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his power. He can do all his holy will. He can do whatever he pleases. What a great comfort for those who trust in Jesus and have received his love Nothing can get in his way to do what he said he will do for you. Nothing will get in his way to do what he said he will do for you. He is faithful and he will do it because he's powerful. And the next is his infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his holiness. It's his absolute purity. His exaltation above all that's wrong and broken. He's so holy, he's too pure to look on any sin, and he will punish it fully. And that takes us to the next one, his justice. He'll punish it fully because he's holy, and because he's just, he'll treat everyone right according to his holy standards. He's never unfair, can never be charged with wrongdoing. Yet, and that's the next one, he remains good. He's holy, he's just, and good, you need to put those together. In his goodness, he's kind to all his creatures. He's seeking their good even when they oppose him, merciful to the unmerciful, gracious and forgiving to sinners who hate him. And he demonstrated his great goodness above all in the greatest gift, Jesus Christ. When in his holiness and justice and goodness, he sent his son into the world to put all our sin on him, 
and in his holy wrath punished him so he could pour out his goodness on us. Forgive us our sins. Jesus bore them for us on the cross. He went there for us. What a beautiful commingling of God's holiness, justice, and mercy. And finally, he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his truth. His truth is his faithfulness. It endures to all generations. He keeps his word. He never lies. His word endures forever. He promised Jesus and he kept that promise fully. All his promises are yes in Jesus Christ and on the day of judgment, he'll be absolutely true to his word. If you've trusted in Jesus, you'll be saved. He's true to that word. You'll be rewarded for the good works you've done in Jesus' name. Remember, through his mediation, purified through Jesus' blood. And those who have not put their faith in Jesus will be condemned and punished eternally for their wickedness. He will keep that word. He's true. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's faithful and he will do it. One author wrote, God is not only the greatest of all beings, the greatest of all beings, but he is the best. He's the best. And he shows us his glory, congregation. So we can know him and enjoy him. There's no more dangerous knowledge than to know God. He's because he's a consuming fire. At the same time, there's no better, higher, and more thrilling knowledge than to know God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know his wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. To know him is to know the one who has everything you need. Let's go back to Moses. The Lord came down to Moses and proclaimed his name to him. And then Moses, verse 6 of chapter 34, bowed low and worshiped. And in this descent to Moses, Moses knew that God was going to travel in the camp with his people. God's glory would go with them. He'd be in their midst, his infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth would be with them. And that's what they need for the journey. Or they won't make it. And he said, verse 9, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Only the Lord's presence can carry us through. You know, God could keep himself far away from us because we're creatures of dust. I don't want to deal with lowly dust. I don't want to have a relationship with lowly dust. And even more because of our sin, he could say, I'm going to stay away. I don't want to have anything to do with him. 
But what love that he would come down to Israel, to Moses on Mount Sinai, and show his glory to the people of Israel. And far more fully to us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed to his father, John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you want to know God? Do you thirst to know God? As we start on this journey of what to believe about God. Because I assure you from God's word, The only one who meets our needs is the one who's infinite in our finitude, who's eternal in our mortality, who's unchangeable in our unpredictability. We need somebody like that. We need somebody wise in our lack of wisdom, powerful in our weakness, holy in our impurity, just in our injustice, good somebody true in our unfaithfulness. He's got it all. This is the God you want to know. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that it pleases you to know us. And to give yourself to us so that we may know you. Thank you for Moses pleading, show me your glory. Now you answered that prayer finally by sending your son to earth to show us your glory. And now in Jesus we can see you as you truly are. And the mediator. Give us a thirst to know you. Give us a desire to fellowship with you and to enjoy you. Help us to be able to say with a psalmist, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.